Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. It's, a, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like we skipped right through spring and summer and went right back into, into fall today. But you're here, and uh, I know you're out there because I can see you're breathing, and so that's a good thing. If you would, please take your, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Second, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't know, I have two. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. The scripture reads, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. By the way, there's eight of those, uh, eight of those virtues. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this Lord's Day, Lord. Thank you for this church. Let's find people, Lord. Lord, just pray that you will grant to us both knowledge and wisdom and understanding too, Father, that we might uh, uh, see your word, uh, Lord, experience this, the truth of it, and Father, apply those truths in our life and lives in Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question to begin with. Who do you know, who do you know that wants to be identified in this life as being someone's slave or bondservant? Like you say, you know, when I grow up, my biggest aspiration is to be a bond servant. I want to be a slave. You know, you don't hear that much. <laughs> I hope you. I don't think. I don't think we've ever said any. Anybody's ever said, you know, I want to be a bond servant when I grow up. I would think that people today are repulsed at any idea that they are someone else's possession because that's what a bondservant is. You belong to somebody else. You're their possession. 
uh, you're, you're their property. And yet, here we have Peter who some 2,000 years ago lived in a world, in a society that was filled with bondservants who were literally the property of another person. It was very common back 2,000 years ago to belong to somebody else. You are not your own. You are purchased by somebody. This term bondservant in the Greek is doulos. By the way, there, there are five words, five words for, for bondservant or slave in the Greek. Uh, this is just one of them. But this, this word doulos means that a person's will is totally under the dominion and the authority of, of, an, of another person. You, know, you are not your own. You, you, you live under the command and the authority of somebody else. I don't know of anybody that would want to live in that kind of a situation, do you? That I want to be somebody else's property. So then, let's look at this in the manner of, of, of being two things. Number one, uh, let's, just, let's just cut to the quick. There is no such thing as you or I or anybody else not being a bondservant. We are conceived as bondservants. We are born as bondservants. We live as bondservants. And the only thing that separates us from being a bondservant is death. It's the only thing that's ever going to separate you. You're either, you are either a bondservant, a, a doulos to Satan, or you are a bondservant, a doulos to Jesus Christ. I know that we don't like the idea of saying, hey, I'm somebody's slave, but you are, and I am, and everybody is. We are a bondservant either to Satan or to Jesus Christ. When people say that, when, when I hear people say that, I want autonomy, you're never going to have autonomy. You never, you never, you never can say that I can govern myself. That is not spiritually nor physically possible. You're either a bondservant of Satan or you're a bondservant of Jesus Christ. When we were conceived, we inherited at the very moment life was formed in the mother's womb, at that very second the life is formed in the womb, that Adam's sin then becomes a part of that new life that has been formed. And not only do we have Adam's sin there, but we have the consequence of Adam's sin. Paul writes uh, to the church at Rome and says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Two things you can guarantee yourself about. Number one, that you are dead spiritually because of sin. Number two, that you would be dead physically someday. It's a, it's a dreadful thought. We are... You know, they say that the two greatest fears, the two greatest fears is the fear of death 
and the fear of public speaking. Death is an awesome, awesome fear for many people because they have no idea what the next step is. What is going to happen to me after I die? There are some people that believe in total annihilation, that we just, uh, we, we are buried in, in, in a tomb in the ground, and in, in a casket in the ground, and there we stay until the, the, the worms and the maggots eat our bodies up, and then there's nothing left but a cadaver. Some people think that that's it, that once the body dies, the, 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 the soul of the human being, that the, the inner person dies also. They can believe that all they want. They won't be dead one second until they find out that they've been wrong, though, but uh, we, we will all die. So in this sense, we at one time were all bound we at one time were all bound to Satan due to the fact that we were all sinners. At the very onset of our existence, we were sinners. I heard a preacher say one time, a friend of mine said one time, uh, that we are, we are sinners because we sin. That's crooked. That's wrong. We sin because we are sinners. You don't become a sinner when you sin. You're a sinner the moment you are conceived. You've inherited Adam's sin, the very moment of conception. Keep that in mind. When you are, listen, the moment you are made sin like Adam, Satan then becomes your overseer. He's the one who has, he's the one who has control over you. You say, oh, pastor, I don't believe that. Well, it's in the scripture. We'll share that in just a moment with you. But he has control over you. Your, your will is lost in his. The only thing that can break this human bondage, as I said earlier, is death. The only thing that breaks you from Satan's bondage is death. And of course, after death comes judgment, and after judgment comes the sentencing. That is, that there will either be, that there's going to be eternal separation from God, and therefore perdition. That means hell. When you are without Christ, and you live a life, and you are under, from the moment of conception until you live to be a hundred or plus, whatever it might be, until you die, you are under bondage to Satan. He controls you. You are, you are his. And when you die, you go before God, Hebrews 9, 27, after death comes judgment. Listen, and after judgment comes the sentencing, and that sentence will be eternal eternal separation from God and perdition. But on the other hand, when we are converted to Christ, we are at that time bound to Christ, then you become His bondservant. You don't ever escape this world without being somebody's bondservant. When you are converted to Christ, you become His bondservant. You're bound to Him. And as, as the same as the unsaved person's life, only death can break that bond. The only thing that can break that bond between you and Christ is death. I want you to listen to me very carefully, however, because there's much more to say. So listen, 
as believers, as believers, not a lost person, but as believers, we, we must die. Let's, let's again read what Paul has to say in regard to this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is now no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Listen, I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been, I have been, not I will be, not that it's going to happen, but I have been crucified with Christ. That's true for you. If you are in Christ, you have died in Christ. Christ's cross is yours. He dies, you die. But there's something else here. We identify with Christ in his death. Death breaks bondage. However, not only have we died with Christ, but we also in Christ have done something else. You know what that something else is? Well, if you look at Romans chapter 6. I got several verses I want to read for. I was trying to cut this down to just one or two verses, but I can't. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about the fact that we have resurrected with Christ. We have resurrected with Christ. Listen to this. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, he's not talking about water baptism, please. Let's not insult one another and say, well, that's water baptism. He's talking about baptized into Christ by what? When he's talking about being baptized into that, that we have been baptized into the person of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not just about water baptism. Because if a person's never baptized, he's never going to experience this. It is conversion that brings us into Christ. When we are converted, you are put into Christ. We become, in, we become part of the body of Christ. We read that over and over again in Scripture, that we are the body of Christ. We're baptized into Christ and have been baptized into his death. You've been baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There is great symbolism here between what's happened spiritually and what happens in a baptistry. Because when you see in a baptistry, when you take a person and they're standing there, when you bring that person down into the water, it symbolizes what? Death and burial. This is what... There is a picture there of what, what we're seeing there is what has happened spiritually, that you have been died and buried with Christ, and then guess what happens? We don't just hold you there until you do die. Count to a thousand. No, that's not. Guess what happens the moment the person is buried in that water? What happens? You bring them back up, and they're raised to walk in a resurrected life. That's what happens when you become a Christian, that you die with Christ. You must die. You must die. That bondage says you must die. You die with Christ. That sin, that old self, that old man is buried with Christ and you raised. You are a new person. That should throw your soul. You're a new person. 
Verse 4, therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, Romans, Romans 6, 5, for if we become united with him in his likeness and his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Pretty much speaks about death, doesn't it? in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died, he who has died, he who has died is freed from sin. Dead and buried, raised to walk a resurrected life. Peter, in verse 2 of our text, let's go back to first, Second Peter Peter, in verse 2, speaks of our attaining knowledge. So when we think of this word knowledge, the first thing that usually comes to our mind is some intellectual knowledge. Well, that's not what he's speaking of. That's not what he has in mind here. He, he writes about, uh, and I want you to look again at this verse. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of of God. It's not intellectual knowledge. He's writing about, he's speaking about experiential knowledge. Not gnosko. Remember that? Not, not, not this, which you know, but it's what you've experienced and it, and it lays here. You've experienced it. It's, it's a part of you. It's that kind of knowledge. And that, that knowledge is oida. Oida knowledge. The kind that is received, the kind that is received, the kind of knowledge is received by both the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of you, the believer. So, you become a Christian, and all of a sudden, God's Word becomes alive to you. You begin to not just read it, it becomes an experience to you. That Word makes things alive. You become alive. You read that Word, and, and it's, it speaks to you. It, it becomes a part of you. Not only that, but then you have the sanctifying work of you and the Holy Spirit cooperating together in your life, that as you mature in the faith, as you grow in the faith, you see this experience, this experience growing more and more and deeper and deeper in you. That's what he's writing about. When we move on to verse 3, where we find that as Christ is in our lives by our trusting in Him, uh, that, that this Christ life in us transforms us. That is, our inner being is changed in such a way that there now exists a moral and mental difference in us. That is why we have in our church many, many people, many people who say that they are Christians. There are some churches that will have 2,000 people as members, but only 300 might show up. Why? Maybe, maybe many of those members of the local church are not members of the body of Christ.
Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you think you are a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. There has to be something more there. He talks about, he says, that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, not the intellectual knowledge, but the experiential knowledge. They've not experienced God. He has called us by his glory, his own glory, and his excellence. So what Peter is saying is that the life of Christ is a far greater effect in bringing us to faith. That what brings a person to faith is not because you say, I want to be a member of this church. What brings a person to faith is they had a true experience with Jesus Christ. Not an experience with the church, but they had an experience with Jesus Christ. Not that they had an experience with, with a book that they read, but they had an experience with Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter wants to make sure that, that, the, that the, the, greatest, the greatest thing that we could receive in order that brings us to faith is not some book that we read or some movie that we see or some illustration that you hear in some sermon or, or you know, but my, my little puppy Fido was, got hit by a car and the last thing he does is lick my face before he dies. And he goes, oh my goodness. And people come before us, I want to become a Christian. I feel so bad. Well, listen. Are they converted to Fido? Why, why do we do this? Why are we manipulating people down the aisles? That's not what Christianity is. A person who has an experience with Jesus Christ has seen Christ come alive through the preaching of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is more, there is more, there is more in the study of Scripture pretending to who Jesus Christ is and coming to faith in Him than you'll ever see in reading a book. I'm not saying that we should not read books. Of course we should read books, theology books and devotional books. Listen, we should read them. They're wonderful. Well, not all of them, but many of them are wonderful. But none of those things are, none of those are as good as the gospel. None of them. Folks, you can put all the laser light shows you want to in a church. You can have all the PowerPoint you can possibly think of and put it in the church. You can, we can paint everything black and we can put the spotlight on the preacher. We can, we can have a disco ball spinning around. Listen, none of those things, none of those things is greater than the sheer preaching of the Word of God because the preaching of the Word of God is about Jesus Christ. Not about how we decorate the auditorium or paint the walls. Or something that you read in a book. Or some illustration that you hear that moves and motivates you. It is about Jesus Christ, his teaching and his person. That Jesus Christ died for you and he, he bore your wrath and he bore, he, he bore your sin and he bore his father's wrath. So then, we see that we come to verse 4. And there is a phrase in verse 4 that everybody wants to know about. It's, it's, it grabs your attention the moment you see it. Because Peter says, so that by this you may become partakers of the divine nature of man. I, you know, I heard a politician say, we all, every human being has a divine nature. 
that's wrong. First of all, if it's a politician, they may not know theology. Are you aware of that? That every politician, every... Isn't it amazing to you that some superstar sports person becomes a Christian and all of a sudden they become an instant theologian? I spent seven years after, after high school and Navy, seven years getting a college and, and degree in seminary to try to learn something. I'm still trying to learn something. Maybe someday I'll get there. But somebody that's famous gets converted and they become an instant theologian. Maybe I should have done that instead. I could have been a basketball player. Or an offensive tackle. Okay. The divine nature... This divine nature is ours by virtue, not because we're a human being. Please. It's not ours because we're a human being. It's by virtue of the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration in your life. Only then. Only then. If it ain't then, it ain't going to be. It's only by virtue of the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration in your life. That is that God has given us the power to become his children and not, and not, it is not we who willed this for ourselves. You don't will the divine nature for yourself. You don't will yourself to be converted. In John 1.13, please listen. Please listen. I'm just going to share scripture with you. He says, who were born. He's talking about, Jesus is talking about spiritual, John's writing about spiritual birth. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of what? God. God did it. Prior to our being born again, we, all, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, right? Ephesians 2, 1, you all know that. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. That means dead, dead, dead. In this state, we had no desire to do the will of God. When you are dead to God, you have no desire to do the will of God. How do we know this? Again, Scripture 8, 7 of Romans says, For the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able, it is not even able to do so. You can't, as a lost person, say, well, I think I'm going to become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. It works because the Word of God has been preached And the Spirit of God has worked in that person individually, calling that person, pursuing that person, and implanting in that person a desire to know Jesus Christ. That is called regeneration. That heart that is dead to God becomes alive to God. The Holy Spirit does that. We cannot do that. So, Without Christ in our lives, our mind, our will, and our emotions are energized by Satan. Again, how do we know that? Ephesians 2.2. 2. Ephesians 2.2 2 says that we are under what? The, the power, the, the energy, the influences of the prince of the power of the air. That, that is his domain. That is his dominion. 
And every lost person is his bondservant. Ephesians 2.2. You're by nature a child of disobedience, a child of wrath. But listen, when Christ is in our lives, he becomes the source of our lives and of our behavior. This in turn leads to those virtues that he gives in 5 through 7. Listen to these virtues. He says, here's the eight virtues. Faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, kindness, and love. That's what God produces in you. Those are the virtues that God puts in you. Listen, if if you've ever wanted or wondered as to how to have or live a well-ordered life, you want a well-ordered life. This is the best possible way. Those eight virtues that I just read for you, it is a life that demonstrates these qualities that when the world is falling apart, when, when you demonstrate these qualities in your life, those, those eight virtues, when that is demonstrated in your life, when the world is falling apart, guess what? You're not. Your life is not falling apart. So then what, what we see here is that when Christ is present in us, that is the believer, that that life gives a whole new moral change to us. But then, what do we say about the person, the believer, who seems to be of little transformation? Not so much, there's not much trans, he's not a transformative person. His life or his, her life is not transformative. That they're just, there's something there, but there's something missing. You ever meet that person? They're all over churches, all over America, all over the world. person's not a lost person. A person's a saved person. But there's just no oomph in that person. No, no spiritual unction in that person. So what do we do? That's where verse 9 comes in. Look at verse 9 of our text. He says, for he who lacks these qualities, those things that we talked about, he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Just kind of there. Person's just kind of there. Not much, not much of a transformative life at all. Well, we look at this. This person has a has little spiritual sight of those things which are of heavenly nature. He, he just or she just doesn't see what is, what is, what is, what is heavenward. They have completely missed all that heaven has to offer them. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the person who fixes his eyes on Jesus, but then there's that person who doesn't. That is, that the person who's not focused on Jesus, they are not fully focused on, uh, rather they've, they, on him, but rather they've got their sights set upon something else. You know what their sights are fixed on? The things of this world. We hear all kinds of warnings in Scripture about not loving this world. You know, the eye just focused on this world. 
would you please turn to Colossians chapter, chapter 3? In Colossians chapter 3, uh, I want to share this with you. We're, we'll, we'll be done in a few minutes here. In Colossians chapter 3, look at verses 1 and 2. This is important. Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, and that's every Christian, right? If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. And that's the problem. People have been raised up with Christ, but their focus is not on the Son, the S-O-N. Their focus is not on the Son. He says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, he says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So he's, he's, it's an admonition. He says, listen, quit looking at the world. Quit looking at the world. So we have that. This is where our focus ought to be. But then this leads us then to verses 12 and 13. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, more, more virtues, bearing, uh, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as you, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you should forgive others. That's the mind that is focused above, okay? 1 and 2, 12 and 13. But, but, let's look at Colossians 3, 14 through 16. He says, beyond, beyond all these things. That means besides having your mind focused heavenward, beyond all these things, put on love. When he says put on love, it is love that holds together all these Christian virtues that we've been looking at. It holds in the, all the virtues and graces which bring us to maturity in Christ. When a person just puts on love, you bring all those virtues, not just the ones that we read in, in, in Peter and, and here in, in Paul, but also in, when Paul writes to Galatians, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, genesis, self-control, all, all of that, all of that put on love, which, which is the glue that holds all this together. The second thing says, let the peace of Christ, beyond those, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 15, when we obey God's will, we will experience God's peace. God's will leads to God's peace. And when we have God's peace, we will have victory over fear, worry, anxiety, etc., so on and so forth. The third thing he says, beyond all these things, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Verse 16. You want transformation? This is where you get it. The word of God magnifies Christ, sustains the believer, exposes sin, and is our weapon against the forces of hell itself. But let's get back to our text in verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Look at this. He said, Therefore, brethren, be all more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. This is your answer when you ask yourself. And every pastor gets this question. Pastor, I don't know if I'm really a Christian. I don't know if I'm really saved. 
And the pastor just doesn't know what to tell him because, well, you've got to get saved. You're going to get baptized all over again. No. Pastor, am I really a Christian? Listen, listen, listen. Put this in your memory bank. Lock it up there. Keep it there. And only take it out when you ask yourself, am I really a Christian? You did not work to get yourself saved. And you do not work to get yourself unsaved. God got you there. God will keep you there. It wasn't earned or merited. God did it. You didn't do it. God's work is there. Ask yourself this, not am I saved. Ask yourself this. Since I have come to Christ, has there been a moral and mental change in my life? Is there, is there something new about me that wasn't there before I became a Christian? If the answer is no, then you need to get saved. If there's no change, if nothing has changed, nothing you cannot be a Christian and not have some transformation take place in your life. It's an impossibility. It was God who has called you. It is God who has pursued you and sought you. It was all of God. You didn't do any of that. God did that. Ask yourself, when God has done this in my life, has there been a change in me? Does what you now believe concerning Christ matter? Is your focus on, on a humanistic worldview or is it a Christian biblical view? Put it another way. Friend, friend, listen. Is the sun, the S-O-N, in your eyes? Is he in your, is he in your eyes? Is he your focus of your life? We learn in verse 11 that Jesus Christ is the only way to enter God's eternal kingdom. The only way you're going to get there, folks, is through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way there, folks. If you come to Christ today, say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Jesus, I want you in my life. Jesus, I want my life to change. I want, I want there to be a change in my life. I want to be, I want to be sold out to you. If that's who you are today and you've never done that before, this is the day that you can call on Christ and say, Jesus, I want you in my life. It's not you saying that the Holy Spirit has opened your heart up to believe the Scripture, that you're lost without Him. And folks, listen, you're either going to be in bondage to the devil or you're going to be in bondage to Christ. You're going to be in bondage to somebody. Would you not rather be in bondage to Christ? He would purchase you with his blood. And because he's purchased you with his blood, he will keep you secure in his hands. He will never leave nor forsake you. He'll keep you there for eternity. He does that for all who call upon his name. Would you today?